All right. Good morning, everyone. This is fun to see the room set up this way. The last time we did this, it was March of uh, 2020, and then the week after that, the world basically shut down, right? And so, um, during the time in our during the pandemic, when everything was online, I was like, when I had visions of like, oh, what will it be like when we come back to church in person? It was going to be like this. But then it wasn't, because it was like there was all this new equipment, and the room was set up the long way. But um, we know for a while that it's been hard to see the song lyrics, um, and it took us a while to figure out uh, what we wanted to do with the, the setup and the equipment, so thank you for bearing with us. Um, it's kind of funny, because in the old days, this was the youth group section only, and now, like, y'all are back there, kind of, or spread out around the room, so it's like... You know, the adults would be in the middle and this side, and all the youth would be there. And then if there was a speech and debate tournament, there'd be like one person there, and that's it. And so it's interesting to see how we've situated ourselves around the room. But I'm very grateful for uh, the work of Enoch and Jeremiah to um, get a new projector, get a new screen, because that's what we were waiting for. And so um, we're thankful that the room can be set up this way. I think it's easier for everyone to see the screen and feel like more connected, and that's why we wanted to get back to our roots, and we'll be looking like this for the foreseeable future. So thank you guys back there. That's a temporary setup, temporary sound room in the, in the yeah. Thank you, Enoch and Jeremiah, for all your hard work. Um, it's been a while since I've, uh, since I've preached here. Uh, Daniel has been carrying us through the book of Galatians over the summer as there's been a lot of youth group events and other, uh, other places that I've been. And so uh, thank you to him for kind of getting us through the book of Galatians. Um, today we're going to start to conclude our series, um, both this Sunday and next Sunday. So we're going to take the next two Sundays to kind of wrap up the book. We're in chapter six now. We've done the first five chapters. And so um, we're going to start to conclude that series today. A um, couple weeks ago, uh, there were seven of us from our church who went on a backpacking trip together. I've got a photo here. So, um, All right, so Ken planned it. Um, this year, if you remember, we Ken and I both talked about our backpacking trip in different sermons last year. But um, this year, we had to throw it together at the last minute because we weren't sure if we were even going to be able to go because there was so much snow. More on that later on in the sermon. Um, but there were seven of us. You could see Brian is the first brave youth group member to go on a backpacking trip. His backpack weighed 48 pounds, so he's crazy. I don't know how he did that. That's, that's super heavy. So um, you'll notice Brian, his dad, Uncle Gary, and Goo, our wonderful church administrator, she brought her neighbor with her, and then Ken and Wesley and I. Uh, Ken and Wesley aren't here today. Bummer. But anyway, so um, this was our trip. There were seven of us. Last year, there was three of us. And one of my fears going on this trip, I mean, I had many fears, but one of my fears was last year with a group of three, everything schedule-wise and just like kind of planning things out together, it was like a well-oiled machine, right? It was like, okay, wake up when the sun comes up and you can't sleep anymore because it's too bright in your tent, right? Eat breakfast real quick, you know, clean up your tent, get ready to go and be on the trail by 7.30 or 7 or something early before the, the sun gets really hot. But with seven people, 
you, there's more variables, right? The bigger the group, the more opinions on how much sleep we need or what time we go to sleep. Last year, we were all in our tents sleeping by uh, 8 p.m. Having Brian and his dad there this year made it very different because um, they stay up late. And so when you have more people, more variables exist. And I was worried, how uh, is it going to get contentious at times because there's seven of us instead of three? Um, when you look at the book of Galatians, as the early church was starting, you see issues that would arise that we've talked about in our series. And so I'm, I'm thankful for this group of people. We had a fantastic time. There were challenges, which I'll talk about later. Um, but anytime when you have a group of people, the more, that, the more you try to establish something or the more people there are, the more opinions that can, can arise and more challenges, more opportunities for conflict can arise. And I think that's why Paul ends the book of Galatians the way he did. So if we do some review of what we've talked about so far in the book of Galatians, I've kind of pulled out four, um, if you could go to the next slide, there's four kind of main things I wanted to point us back to that we've been looking at over the last several months. So first, if you remember, Paul's goal is to show the Galatian church, the Galatian brothers and sisters, that true freedom comes from only knowing Christ. And then tied to that, he's, he talks about, in the beginning parts of the book, about being careful not to add on to the gospel message, and specifically within the church of Galatia. If you remember, there were Jewish Christians who were trying to infose, uh, enforce, impose, I just combined two words, there we go, um, enforce, yeah, that's a new one, we can write that down and use it for future sermons. They were trying to impose Jewish cultural traditions that were so important to them that it had become a part of the church life. And so for non-Jewish, the Gentile believers who were there in the church of Galatia, they were trying to impose certain Jewish traditional customs upon them. And Paul is saying, that's not how the gospel works. We are saved by believing in Jesus Christ alone. And this gets really tricky when it comes to church, because there are a lot of things that we have, a lot of values that we have that we believe are important. But if those values, and I shared back in, in the start of the series how uh, a value I had in terms of what songs we were singing at a retreat could cause conflict with other people. And I could make that kind of, uh, hopefully in my mind, it wasn't in, on equal footing to the gospel because that's the most important part of what we believe as Christians. But a lot of times we can take things that are important to us as individuals and we can elevate them to the level of the gospel. And that's when conflict arises. Because both sometimes consciously or subconsciously, we realize that's not right. Like, and that's what's going on in the book, in the church at Galatia. And that's why Paul is writing to address this. And I found that this is really important. And this is why I'm so thankful that we've been going through the book of Galatians. Because what it's taught me is that I could pick on Asian culture or Chinese culture. But really, when it comes to us as human beings, we can often use spiritual means to try to manipulate other people to do what we want. You can say, I believe it's God's will that you should fill in the blank, when really, it may or may not be God's will, but it's your will and you want them to do something, right? And this happens in our world over and over again. And that's how the messiness of relationships can begin when we realize, hey, that's not right, and resentment can build from that. So that's why Paul is writing this book. Um, and so as we've gone through it, then we see uh, Daniel shared with us that as we get into what it means to be led by the Holy Spirit, he talks about how true love, loving and caring for other people in the body of Christ, it's putting the needs of others above your own. 
It's kind of the opposite of saying, you need to follow this value because I think God wants you to, which is, you know, a way of manipulating people. But the opposite of that is putting others above yourself. And then finally, last week, as we talked about the fruit of the Spirit, we see how having the Holy Spirit inside of us, the Bible says when we believe in God, we're marked with the Holy Spirit, then it's, that's how we are able to grow and change. And we are able to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all the things we memorized with the hand signals in Awana if you grew up in the church, right? And so these are some things that we have seen thus far in the book of Galatians. So the question that we want to ask ourselves now as we start to wrap up this series is with all of these truths, these very important truths that Paul's been talking about, now how do we live this out? And so today's message is really about how do we live out the truth of the freedom of Christ that we have when it comes to the body of Christ, the church, group settings. And you'll see that Paul writes some very specific encouragements to us. So I want to read today's passage. We're going to look at the first 10 verses of chapter 6 today, and then we're going to look at the rest of the chapter next week to wrap it up. But if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Galatians 6. Um, It'll be up here on the screen. I'll be reading from the ESV. Um, But let's read starting in verse 1. And Paul says this, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. This is God's word. Let's pray. God, we thank you for all that you have been showing us through the book of Galatians. And God, as we consider the amazing uh, privilege and joy it is to know you, to have a living relationship with you, uh, the God of this universe, God, I pray that these words that we've read, um, that we would see, these are spoken for our benefit, so that we might know how to best love one another within the body of Christ and outside the body of Christ. That we, as we just read in the final verses, would see the opportunity that we have to put others above ourselves, to bless others, and to really love and care for people in this way. And so, God, I pray that as we consider what we've just read, we would have open hearts and minds to what you want to say to us um, as we consider these words. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So really, I'm glad these two verses are here. I'm not going to talk about these two verses because that much today because it's going to be kind of a concluding statement for everything else that we read. But really, we want to see what does it mean to not grow weary of doing good, um, both to people in the body of Christ, but also just in general. Like we have this idea in our minds that it's important to be a good person, whatever that means, um, but we, uh, it's a value for us. And so to get there, to kind of see how do we actually get to live this out in our lives, we want to look at the first eight verses. So this is kind of the goal of what we want to kind of come across by the end of the message, um, but we're going to do that by digging into the first eight verses. So if we're thinking about a, um, the body of Christ or the church, 
being able to love one another in the way that Paul is talking about it. Um, We're going to see three things in the first eight verses. We're going to see how Paul talks about a carefulness in conflict, a humble heart, and encouragement for examples. Okay, Those might sound a little bit uh, just kind of general, but we'll get into them as we go. So first, what is Paul talking about when he says, when he is uh, highlighting this carefulness in conflict? If you remember when the book started, as I kind of already shared in our review, the, there was the conflict of the Jewish Christians trying to impose their cultural traditions upon non-Jewish members of the church. And Paul was writing to say, hey, this is not equivalent to the gospel. The book started with conflict, right? And so Paul opposed that, and we'll see. I think when you look at the book from start to finish, I think Paul's train of thought is actually interesting. But as I was mentioning with seven people on a backpacking trip, or um, as you know, when when eight, uh, how many did we have? 18 of us traveled to Mexico. When you're in a group, conflict can arise, right? And certainly the church in Galatia was no uh, stranger to that. And so um, when Paul is writing, as he's concluding this book, The first two verses, I think, are very powerful when it comes to resolving conflict that's inevitably going to happen in a group setting. And so he says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, another word for transgression, depending on your version, is sin. So something that's wrong, that's serious. He says, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Now, when conflict arises, I think we often want to kind of come to some resolution, but I don't know if we do it exactly the way that Paul is talking about here. When conflict arises, many times we're driven by our, our emotions or our anger or our frustrations, and angry words can come out, and it's not as careful as Paul describes it here in this passage. Um, if you know me, I'm a relatively conflict-avoidant person. I think I'm getting better at this as, as I age. Um, but uh, what Paul is saying here is, he's not, what he's not saying here is, oh, if conflict happens, in order to just maintain a spirit of gentleness, just don't do anything about it. That's not what he's saying, right? He's saying you want to carefully uh, restore this person who is struggling with some kind of sin, right? And so that's what Paul is saying is important. But how? And many times in our desire to try to point someone in the right direction um, or see someone else like change their behavior and do something right instead of doing something wrong, we often go about conflict resolution in the wrong way, right? Um, one of the words here I think is very interesting. It's this word restore. And when you, read the, when you read the original language that Paul was writing this in, the word restore has an interesting meaning. Now, if I could go on a quick tangent for a second, um, Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 10, is the very first passage I ever preached a sermon on in seminary. Before I had ever been allowed to preach in my church in LA where I was interning or here, I had never preached before, and when I was taking my first preaching class in seminary, we were required to pick one of Paul's writings, because they're a little more, uh, I think, well, they're a little more application-based, so our professor thought it would be easier. And I want you to know, I don't remember the exact grade I got on it, but it was definitely the lowest one in the class. So we're going to see how far I've come since, I don't know, that was like almost 15 years ago, okay? What I do remember from that C plus, B minus of a sermon is I remember, without going back to the commentary, something that stood out to me about the word restore. Because when you do a word study in the original language, it has the connotation of fixing a fishing net. Like, because 
you know, Paul's writing in the Mediterranean world where the mar- it was a very maritime society, people would be familiar with fishing. It talks about how careful you have to be to fix a fishing net, right? Now, I know a little bit about fishing. Um, we had a first this week. We had, our, uh, we had our first youth group beach trip since before the pandemic. And uh, I've got a picture here. And so something happened on this beach trip that's never happened before in the history of beach trips. Joseph's not here, which is a bummer, but Brian's here. He's back there. So this is Brian right here, and there's Joseph, and then Jaden's there for moral support. Um, but what they're doing, if you can't tell because it's a little small, they are fishing at Sunset Beach. Now, I love fishing, um, but ocean fishing I'm not very good at. And so Brian, because he drove himself there and happened to have his fishing poles in his truck, busted out his fishing poles, and these guys were actually trying to catch fish, which is something we've never had happen on our beach trip before. Normally, we're just playing in the water, building sandcastles, or whatever it might be. But um, we didn't catch any fish, which is a bummer. But uh, for the sake of understanding the carefulness of what Paul is describing, it was interesting. Because what we were fishing with were sand crabs. If you dig in the sand, you pull up the little sand crabs, you put them on a hook. Brian had all his fishing tackle. And this is what happened over and over and over again. It's Brian's first time fishing at the beach. Joseph's a veteran. Even though he's seventh grade, the kid really has some skills, and I'll get into that in a moment. But So Brian, who's a good fisherman in his own right, he's, you know, we're putting the sand crab on the hook. And inevitably, after his first cast, his first cast was fine, but then he reeled it in, threw it back out. Time after time after time, as you see him cast, and he's really good at casting, so it's going really far, you see the sand crab just flying off. It's no longer on the hook. And so he would reel it in, and I would try to carefully put it on the hook, but I'm not that great a fisherman. So over and over again, he'd cast it, and as it's going off, you see the sand crab flying off the hook, and I'm screaming, no, like, oh, man, not again, right? And then so Joseph comes over, and I, we're asking him, like, how do you, how do you, like, how do you do this? Because clearly we're not doing this correctly. Now, this may not be the perfect illustration for Galatians because I wouldn't say Joseph was that careful, but he was skillful. He just popped it on the hook very quickly. He said, you just do something like this. I actually didn't see what he did, so I still, to this day, have no idea how to do it. But then Brian casted it, and the sand crab stayed perfectly on the hook. Right? And so Joseph's expertise in knowing how to put the, the sand crab on the hook stayed on there long enough. Now, later it would fall off again, but that's a different story. But anyway, it took great care to make sure the hook was baited correctly. Now, um, when you think about fishing, um, while I'm, I would consider myself kind of like intermediate, lower intermediate skill level, I do know that when you tie a hook on a line, you have to be pretty careful with your knot so that the hook won't come flying off or that it won't break if you hook a fish, right? Now, even more so if you look at a fishing net. To construct a fishing net, which is a pretty amazing kind of piece of equipment when you think about it, if you, back in the Mediterranean world at this time, you know, shortly after Jesus died and, and went back up into heaven, so, you know, we're talking like in the first century AD, they didn't have the technology that we we have, and they had to be very careful with the fishing nets, especially if they were doing this as a living, because you wanted it to hold like, you know, hundreds and hundreds of fish or however many as possible. And so constructing the nets would take great care in order to fulfill its function. And so when I imagine, what, what I imagine is hours and hours and hours of fishermen, like constructing these nets very, very carefully. Now, if we understand that word then, when it comes to conflict resolution in our lives, 
Imagine if we considered the situations we are in with the conflict that carefully. I think it would be different than how we go about conflict resolution in our lives many times, right? Because oftentimes, if we see something's wrong, we know it's wrong, we want to correct it, and we can easily, out of our own kind of uh, laser focus on what we think is right, we can lash into someone without considering how, like, what their week has been like, what are the reasons why some kind of sin has been committed. Again, we're not saying that sin is not, like, a serious thing or doesn't need to be addressed, but Paul is saying this is how careful we need to be when we go about conflict resolution, And if we can understand that, then I think that would actually change the way we speak to one another or deal with one another when conflicts arise. We want to have that same level of care for how a a very elaborate fishing net was constructed back in the days before modern technology and having the right tools. And so you can see how important this is for the Apostle Paul as he's encouraging the, the brothers and sisters in the church of Galatia. And so he goes on in verse 1. He says, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Why does he say this? Because he's saying, like, in your hurry to try to correct someone else, be careful about your own attitude or your own state of mind so that you may not fall into sin as well. Many times when we want to help someone or correct someone else who's struggling in a particular area, if we are not careful, we can go about it in a sinful way ourselves. And the snowball of sin can just go on and on and on. Verse 2, he says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And so it kind of ties up uh, just this, uh, this idea of being patient with someone that we'll kind of go into more as we continue when it comes to this idea of conflict resolution. And so hopefully we can think about, like, before we get into the big picture takeaways, if we had this level of care in our conflict resolution, if we were using a gospel-driven way to resolve conflicts in our lives, wouldn't our relationships look much different than they do today? So that's the first thing that Paul talks about. He says, we want to be a church to the brothers and sisters in in Galatia. He says, we want to be a church that is this careful in our relationships where we can be able to correct one another, but not without without falling into anger or self-centeredness. And um, when you think about the way that Galatians is written, Paul does get very intense in chapter 3, right? He says, you foolish Galatians. And you could say, Paul, like, It's kind of the opposite of what you're saying here, isn't it? That's why I think it's really fascinating how the book of Galatians is constructed. Um, The first couple chapters, it's dense. There's a lot about the situation of the cultural traditions and the struggle and Paul's background. But Paul goes through two chapters to try to carefully lay out where he's coming from and why the issue of holding these cultural traditions over people's heads is so important to him before he gets into the emotion of what he's saying in chapter 3. And I think that's a way where you can see Paul is trying to live this out. Now, Paul, as a human being, by no means would be perfect. You see him get pretty um, emotional and uh, uh, angry at times in his writings. But for the first couple of chapters, he's trying to reason with the brothers and sisters to help them see where he's coming from before he gets into the directness of what's going on. And I would say he's... He, he is so passionate about it because he sees that it's wrong and it's something that needs to be addressed. And so I do think Paul has exhibited a, a lot of this care that he's encouraging the Galatian brothers and sisters to see here. 
And so um, knowing how to deal with sin or conflict in any setting is important, but especially in a church, right? And so we don't want to be conflict avoidant, but you see Paul's encouragement um, for the brothers and sisters here in the church of Galatia. Um, I remember uh, being on the receiving end of this level of care here in our church. Um, There was a time where uh, I wouldn't call it a mistake. I would call it a decision that I made for how we were planning one of our retreats that ended up costing our church quite a bit of money. And there were multiple leaders in our church who were not happy with me uh, when this decision was made, right? And so we had to kind of talk things out. Um, at the time, YC Mock, who's one of our retired elders, um, many of you might know him from uh, his, he's the father of Fred Mock, our previous English minister who was here for a long time. YC still attends our church. And um, in that moment, he could tell I needed to be told the truth that I had done something that I needed to do differently in the future. But the tone of voice that he chose with me when he talked to me about it was one that was not condemning, not frustrated the way I heard from several other people. And it helped me see that I really had done something that I needed to do different the next time. And that level of care that he showed to me helped me see, okay, I don't need to be defensive about something and kind of dig into my own position the way we often can do. But when he was exhibiting what Paul is talking about here, I felt loved, but also directed in the way that I needed to go. And I'm thankful for that kind of leadership. I think it's why, um, for many years, he's someone who's blessed a lot of people in our church serving as an elder, uh, both present and also retired. And so what we see here is that there is a way, uh, there is a way that we are called to deal with conflict in our lives and in a group setting. Now, is there a way that we can grow into this person more and more? And I think that's where as we keep reading and we, as we move to the second point of what we see in a, in a, in a church that really cares about one another and loves, loves one another that Paul is kind of pointing towards, the second point should help us see how we could grow into being that kind of person. And it comes from having a humble heart. So let's keep reading in verse 3. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Um, There's some kind of common sense in here that maybe goes outside of our understanding of Scripture. Um, The idea of not thinking more of ourselves than we should, I think, is something that we can often understand as humans. Um, As a basketball coach, when I see our players, especially this season, uh, kind of talking trash to one another after they score a basket, I would ask them, uh, hey guys, when you were in seventh grade, how many games did you win last year? One. Should we really be acting like we're in the NBA right now? No. Okay, let's keep practicing. And like, you know, it doesn't go exactly like that, but you get the idea. We understand what it means when we have a higher view of ourselves than we ought to, right? It's not the only place in scripture this talks about. Verse four is interesting. It says, but let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. And that's really fascinating because at least at face value, we might think, Aren't we supposed, doesn't Paul talk about boasting in Christ? Like, what is this boasting in ourselves here? Like, I thought we're not supposed to do that as Christians. We have to understand Paul's point here, because I believe what he's not saying is, like, if we do the right thing, then we can boast in ourselves. What he's really getting at is the danger of comparisons when we compare how we are as a person 
to our brother and sister in Christ. And he's trying to encourage the Galatians, hey, look, sin and conflict management, that's something that has to take place, but it can't be from a place where we feel superior to that person, right? That just, uh, just kind of bogs us down in the, uh, just in the picture of conflict and, and kind of making things worse, right? And so the idea of testing here and not thinking more highly of yourself than you ought it's why we can understand Jesus would say, hey, you've got to take the speck out of your, or the log out of your own eye before you address the speck in someone else's eye in Matthew chapter 7, right? And what he's saying is you really got to check yourself to make sure your intentions are good before you point out the sin in someone else's life. Is the reason you're pointing it out so that you can feel morally or spiritually superior to that person? If it is, then it's probably not the right time to say anything. We've got to deal with that sense of superiority in our lives first before we can deal with someone else's. And the point is not to compare our own abilities or our holiness or our morality with others. And that's why I think Paul says, for each will have to bear his own load. In the end, we are all, you know, it's, our, it's, our, it's on each person to understand, am I actually being humble or am I calling things out out of a spirit of comparison so I can feel better uh, about myself than someone else? And really, what, um, go, uh, really go, and then going back to verse 2 uh, where it says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. If we have a humble heart, we can realize Christ was the perfect one that we want to follow. We want to do our best to live out his teachings. But we have to remember that as humans, we are never going to measure up to the holiness of Jesus Christ. And that should keep us humble. It should help us have the right mindset or mentality when we realize, okay, I really want to help this person who's struggling with sin, but I want to recognize the sin that's in my own life as well. And see that that's a huge danger to relationships and to be able to recognize that and to realize I will never be the, the kind of person that Jesus Christ is. And I want to look to him for guidance and for example. And I think that's something that keeps us humble in our relationships with one another. And also when we go back to what Paul was talking about when it comes to conflict resolution. And so really what I think that what a humble heart is, it's really recognizing our place before God that we recognize our own sin. That's why we would want to help someone else out in their life because we, uh, we know how destructive it is. We know how dangerous it is in our own lives. And we can have this humble place of knowing God is God. I'm a fallen human being who's saved by grace. And that way I can keep things in the proper perspective. Um, I already was talking about YC uh, Elder Mock. Uh, so this will be part two of it. Um, I'm thankful for his example because as an elder, like, I don't think I've ever met someone who's so, like, self-deprecating. And um, you, could, you could take self-deprecation way too far, but it's, I think it's a really good skill when it comes to relationships. Um, a joke that we have when we're setting up for lunch in here and the English side is, like, waiting and waiting and waiting, because the Chinese service is not done yet, we'll, we will often say, like, what's going on? Is YC preaching today? Because when he preaches, he's a great preacher, a great interpreter of scripture, but he's very thorough, like, very thorough, like, 50-minute sermon thorough, right? And so we're waiting and waiting, and I'll say, like, 
you know, I, when he comes in, I'll be like, hey, you guys are pretty late. Were you preaching today? And he'll just smile and laugh. And then when people in, in, in our staff meetings back when he was a, a, an active elder, you know, some of the other staff members uh, would say, including his own son, who, you know, was preaching here, would say, hey, um, you kind of want to, like, not keep people waiting for lunch. Can you, you know, speed up your sermon a little bit? And he would look at us with a smile, and he would say, I am aware of my problem but I make no promises. <laughs> and it was like such a, like from one of our elders, someone we looked to for guidance, it was like, what a, um, what a humble thing to say. And it's not the only time where I've experienced that kind of just humility and self-deprecation. Um, when we were planning a parenting workshop where we wanted to uh, be able to give the youth parents guidance for um, just how, uh, how children are raised when it comes to a Christian perspective, I said, um, well, I see we're looking for a speaker for our, um, for, I, I didn't know how delicately uh, to put it, but I was like, could you... Um, kind of talk about all the mistakes you made as a parent um, and use this passage. And he read the passage about not regarding anyone from the old mindset, like a pre-Christian mindset, but regarding them from like, you know, as a new creation. And he looked at the verse and he just looked at me. He said, I'll have no problem. And he went on stage and brought Fred up on stage and talked about many of the ways that in his own words, he had screwed up his own son. And just talked about it in a very honest and but uh, just very genuine way. And I think when it comes to relationships with him, this is why he's one of the first people I run to when I'm having some kind of a problem, because I trust him. Why? Because he's humble, because he's not trying to put on this front of like, oh, I'm this church elder who's doing the right thing all the time, but he's willing to share from his failings and willing to share in the ways he's experienced the grace of God. And that's what it means to have a humble heart. And so a humble heart is truly something powerful. If we, know, uh, if we know who we are before God, we know the, ways, the shortcomings we've had in our lives, and we can acknowledge this and be honest about it and know that God still loves us because that's how gracious he is, it's truly something powerful when we can experience this level of humility. Last week, Daniel talked about the fruit of the Spirit. And what I was struck by is many times when we look at the fruit of the Spirit, we can see it as uh, goals that we have to meet. I have to be a joyful person. I have to be a loving person. I have to be a patient person. And we've lost sight of what the fruit of the Spirit all is entirely. But the fruit of the Spirit, it comes from the Holy Spirit inside of us as a result of being changed by our faith in God. It's not the fruit of, and fill in the blank with our names, it's not something we have to do on our own but it's recognizing we have the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God in us, and that's what helps us be patient with someone. It's what helps us be joyful when when our lives have a hard time being joyful. And all the different fruit of the Spirit that you read about in chapter five, we can know our place before God, we can live life freely, and really truly experience the freedom in Christ. And when I would constantly witness Elder YC's self-deprecation, but also his humility, I thought, you know, this is someone who's very secure in his life, in how other people view him, in what he's done, both good and bad. And it's a really powerful thing and something that hopefully uh, I've been able to uh, just learn from him and put into practice in my own life. And uh, it's why I I realize I probably need to spend more time with him. And so if we do, if we can experience this freedom or experience this, this humbleness of heart, then what is another mark of the body of Christ that Paul gets into? And the verses 6, 7, 8 are quite interesting. 
And so let's go there. This is our final point for this morning. Um, there's a, and the point I called it encouragement for examples. Um, that sounds like, like, what are you even talking about, Dan? Like, that's so general. Like, what does that mean? Like, uh, what it means is, and this is just because I was trying to, you know, going back to my C plus, B minus on this passage, I was like trying to think about what my professor would say about, you know, creative bullet points and alliteration. Like, that's why we have, like, you know, uh, carefulness and conflict and a humble heart. But encouragement, for examples, like the other, I mean, really it's, it's, Honoring the people who I think have had some kind of influence on you, which is what we're going to get to. So, like, I was thinking of some really lame ones, like treats for teachers or iTunes gift cards for instructors or, like, all these things that are just alliterative but don't actually tell the story. We might miss this if we're not, uh, we might miss this from our modern-day perspective. But really, there is an encouragement that we want to be able to share with people who have spiritually formed us. Let's see what Paul is saying in verse 6. It says, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Now, at first glance, we might see, we might think like, this is just from a relational point of view, a conversational point of view. But what was going on in the church in Galatia at this time was the idea of spiritual mentorship or teaching, like teaching scripture, the teachings of Jesus, because not all of scripture was done at this point, but teaching about what it, what it means to be a Christian, it was finally starting to be a little bit more formalized because Galatia is one of the earliest churches that happened after the resurrection of Jesus. And so um, what this shows is it's kind of the first time that you had full-time like pastors or disciplers or people who were teaching scripture or teaching about the kingdom of God. And there was this fear that because this was a new thing, there was this fear that, that the people who were kind of giving of their lives to teach people about who God is, that they might not be able to make a living for themselves, that they might you know, not be able to be compensated in the ways that uh, people who have a normal job do. That's why Paul made tents, right? That's why Jesus was a carpenter. There was all these ways where different um, leaders in the New Testament had to find uh, compensation from other means, right? Now, um, for us, it shows the it shows the um, it shows the importance of having uh, kind of an instructor or an example or a teacher in the area of Christian discipleship. And so, um, because because this was a new thing, there was this fear that those who kind of spent their lives doing this they wouldn't be taken care of. Now, when I was thinking about how we might be able to understand this or apply this. Um, I don't think the financial part necessarily applies to us here. I've seen it around the world where, you know, when we go visit Mexico, some of the pastors that we might meet, uh, they, like, don't have a lot of money, and they're trusting in God's provision. And I think that's where the understanding of the history behind this passage would be very important for people to take care of those who are the spiritual leaders in their communities. Um, if I'm speaking for myself, I feel so fortunate to be a pastor in our church. I feel like brothers and sisters always want to make sure that, like, you know, that I'm not worrying about how to pay rent or where food's going to come from. Matter of fact, I would say it's impossible for me to lose weight being in this church because people, like, give so much food, like, over and over and over again. And that's not the reality that people, that all, like, Christian workers have in our world. And there are many people who suffer the pains of hunger around the world because they're committed to it. I don't believe that I suffer in those same ways. 
But how do we contextualize this idea then for us in the body of Christ? How can that be encouraging for us? And when I think about it, it's kind of the way I initially read it before reading the commentaries about like how this was kind of focused on making sure you were financially taking care of the Christian leaders at this time. And our needs, I believe, in Silicon Valley are not financial. We have more than we are blessed in many, many ways. But our needs, I think, are deeply relational in a way where because we're so busy, because we accomplish so many things, I don't know that we always experience the encouragement that comes from the work that's being done as we encourage one another in the body of Christ. What I mean by that is there are people in my life who I meet with regularly, like Elder YC, as I've talked about, or Auntie Rosa, who I've mentioned many times because I do Bible study with her week in and week out. And there are people that I see as great mentors in my life and people that I turn to for support when I'm having a problem. But what this makes me think of is like, I don't, they're retired, like they're, you know, they're the ones who are like giving me food, you know, but, but if there is some encouragement that I could offer them about what they've shared in my life or how like God's been working in my life, that is way more important than any currency that uh, I think I could give them would like just, it would just be so meaningful for them. Um, I think one of my favorite parts about being a pastor is when someone goes away for a long time and they go to college or they move out of the area and they come back and they want to meet with me or they want to meet with Daniel and they can share how God's at work in their life, right? And I think we get to experience this quite a bit. And so this is not a cry for, hey, you guys need to contact Daniel and I and like tell us everything that God's doing in your life. I think that happens a lot. But there are also other people in our lives that help spiritually form us that I think we could encourage. Youth counselors, Sunday school teachers. How cool would it be if you remember something that you learned in Sunday school many years ago? Maybe our memories are not that good. But actually, I think a lot of us have very formative memories of Sunday school, whether good or bad, right? But if we can share some kind of encouragement with someone who's helped form us or shape us, that's a really powerful thing. Imagine how that would add to the environment of a church body of Christ. Now, I think the main, Paul's main purpose for writing this is to make sure that the, lead, the church leaders in Galatia wouldn't have to worry about where their food was coming from or where they, if they had a place to sleep. And so I'm taking an interpretive jump to application for us where we say we don't have to worry about those things, but imagine how much more emotionally and spiritually encouraged we would be if we were sharing with one another what God is doing in our lives. And I do think that's something that we could do more often. And so it makes me think of spiritual mentors that in, in some ways, as I'm preaching about this passage, I'm focusing this squarely on myself and not you all, because I think I actually get to hear a lot of this from many of you, and I realize I need to be more thankful for the spiritual mentors that I've had in my life. I need to share what God's done in my life with them way more than I have because that's an amazing piece of just uh, relationship that will deepen the relationships within the body of Christ. And so I think that's a way where we can live this out. When we do these things, if we can exhibit this kind of care in conflict, when conflict inevitably comes up, if we can have a humility of heart, and when we can share encouragement with those who have helped form us spiritually, I think we get a picture of what verses 9 and 10 look like. So let's read that again. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. 
So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. And so as the book of Galatians is coming to a close, it's an encouragement for us to put into practice, to apply the amazing truths that we see, that we're saved by grace, we're saved by the gospel and not other expectations, and we can have this freedom in Christ, freedom to know that we are nothing before Christ, that we can be humble, but that it can influence our relationships in a way where we want to love someone uh, just by putting their needs above ours. And I know this is not always easy. I think that's why Paul says, let us not grow weary in doing this. To love someone is costly. To foster good relationships takes time and effort. But I'm continually struck by the truth that when I am focused on blessing someone else rather than the blessing I'm going to receive, that my life is infinitely better and I'm way more satisfied than I might think. Um, And so Paul ends this section with an encouragement to say, as we have this opportunity, let us live out these truths that he's just talked about, the care, the humility, the encouragement. Let us do that in the body of Christ. And let's also do that for everyone as we have opportunity. Um, but he especially focuses on encouraging the body of Christ um, in this way. And it paints this beautiful picture of what the church is like when we have these kinds of relationships. I think that's a good place for our series to start to wrap up. Um, I mentioned that we had some challenges on our backpacking trip. Uh, If you could put the next photo up. So uh, about six miles up the hill where we're all still smiling. We're definitely tired, but um, we're looking for the trail, and we see this. And there's no trail because the trail is like under snow. And now the camera does not do justice of what's going on. It's like, this looks very flat, but I promise you it was not flat. Brian's carrying his 48-pound backpack, right? Now, when you go on any kind of backpacking trip, you want to arrive at your campsite kind of in the 3 to 4 p.m. range. So you have time to relax, rest. You've been hiking all day. And so we arrived at our campsite that was just past this at about 7.45 p.m. We had been hiking up the hill for 10 hours straight, so it was really hard to find the trail, right? Now, in a group of seven people who are getting hungry, who are carrying backpacks way heavier than they should be, and who have been hiking 10 hours when our plan was to hike about half of that, you can imagine that our, our mentality or our attitudes might be struggling a little bit, right? And so um, when we got to the campsite, I was just so kind of amazed by everyone, and this is where I was thankful to go with a lot of other brothers and sisters in Christ, because the focus wasn't on, oh man, we had a bad plan, or it took forever, or I'm so tired. The first words that I heard, I can't remember who said it, I wish I did, but someone said, like, thank God that we made it to the campsite. And the focus was on God kind of getting us through what had been a difficult day and not all the challenges. Like for me, I'm like, I'm ready to whine about like how long it was or like how we could have had a better plan to not get there at 745 or not camp where everything's like covered in snow. But it was actually a really wonderful experience. And I really believe it's because the seven of us have the most important thing in common. And that's that we're brothers and sisters in Christ. There were challenges and opportunities for us to get frustrated with one another in how tired we were. But I can really see how the truths that we see in Galatians were something we got to experience in fellowship in the body of Christ. Another challenge that came up was because of how much snow there was. Uh, We had to cross a creek that was moving very fast. And 
Some people wanted to just walk through the water even though it was moving very fast. I was not one of them, um, mainly because I was the only one who forgot to bring water shoes. Um, but what we had to do was we found, we decided to find, we found this log that you had to walk over and it wasn't like a long walk across the log, across the water, but it wasn't short either. Like, I almost fell in because I was going too fast. And, you know, Brian carried his 48-pound backpack across it, no problem, because he's Brian. But for some of our other members who are not, you know, Brian's age or his strength level, it was a little nerve-wracking. And so when we got all seven of us across the log, it's like coming back, what happened was Brian's dad, he kind of walked down next to the shore and held a, one of the walking sticks so people wouldn't lose their balance. It was an amazing picture of working together to get through a relatively stressful situation. And so the next picture is us. Um, this is us celebrating after we all got across the log because it looked like we might not all make it at some point, right? And so I'm thankful for the several days we got to spend together as a group, but really, uh, deeper than the ways we work together or plan together. Um, as I experienced last year with Ken and Wesley and this year with seven brothers and sisters, like oftentimes, like the, I, talking about God would come up in our conversations. Not the whole time. Like for me, I'm complaining about how hot it is or how uphill things are or, or whatever it might be. But when there were times where we could share, like, you know, about our relationship with God, we realized we have the most important thing in common. When we exhibit this carefulness when it comes to conflict, having humble hearts, and encouraging those who make a big difference in our lives, we get to experience the power of the body of Christ. And I think that's what Paul was trying to impart to the Galatian church as the early church is trying to gain some establishment um, in a world where the life of the church was brand new for the brothers and sisters at this time. For us, if we want to experience truly the power of being free in Christ, as Paul has been talking about in the book of Galatians, we want to put these things that we've read about today into practice and see how we will experience the love of God as the body of Christ. Let's pray together. God, we thank you, Lord, that you are the ultimate example that we can look to. God, we know we have challenges in our lives, that conflict arises, God, we know that in our human nature, we often like to compare ourselves with others so that we can look favorably. God, would you forgive us for the ways that we put ourselves above others? And may we humbly realize, God, that you have saved us not because of what we've done, not because of the good things we've tried to do, but you've saved us by your grace because you truly are uh, just the wisest, but also the son of God, the God and uh, that, that we could trust in someone who knows infinitely more and has demonstrated infinitely greater love and humility than we ever could. So God, I pray that we would put these things into practice. God, that we would go out of our way to encourage someone who's made a difference in our lives spiritually. God, that when conflict arises, that we could pause and exhibit the type of care that your word directs us to. And Lord, I pray that when we do this, God, we would see uh, God-centered relationships that are truly a blessing for us to experience the freedom that we have in you. As we sing this last song together, God, I pray that um, these applications that we read about would be on our minds and our hearts to put into practice as we go from here today. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.